0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. That can be found on page 787 of your Pew Bible. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. I'm delighted to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. The story goes as follows. It's a true story. A number of years ago, the Royal Bank of Scotland sent a piece of correspondence to Monty Slater, informing Monty that he had been pre-approved for a credit card with a limit of $20,000. And you might say to yourself, no big deal. A lot of people get credit cards with limits of $20,000. And you're right. It wouldn't be a big deal if Monty were a people. He was a dog. A Shih Tzu, in fact. Now, my wife, Andy, and I have a Shih Tzu. His name is Patch. He's 14 years old, and he's a sweet little guy. I love him to death. But in all of his 14 years, I can assure you, Patch has never had a job And so the prospect of Pat's, or I would assume Monty, ever repaying their debt to the credit card company is small. And it's a funny story, but it illustrates a tragic reality in our society, and it's this. Our society regularly encourages us to live beyond our means. Yes? Yes. Somehow, it's worked its way into the fabric of who we are. In 1974 the American Home Builders Association reported that the average size of a new construction home was 1,600 square feet. In 2016, the American Home Builders Association reported that the average size of a new home under construction was 2,400 square feet. Add to this the fact that there are now over 2 billion square feet of rentable storage space in the United States. And what we find is, even though our houses have gotten much bigger, we still can't store all of our stuff. When will we get to the point that we say, enough? This sermon series is called Enough. And it is a series about unbridled hope and freedom, that we can beat this thing, our society infused into us, we can beat materialism by the grace of Jesus Christ, we can do it, we can live different kinds of lives. Today we're going to diagnose this problem of materialism and try to understand it a little bit better over the course of the ensuing weeks in this series, we're going to talk about how to build better habits so as not to find our lives centered around our stuff and our money But before we get there, let me make a brief caveat. I have a colleague who once invited a missionary to come and speak to his church. And when the missionary showed up, the missionary talked a lot about the excesses of American culture. And after worship, the pastor and the missionary went and got in the pastor's car, and the pastor was taking the missionary back to his hotel room. They followed Alexis out of the parking lot. And the missionary said to the pastor, see this right here, this is what I'm talking about. And the pastor said, you need to slow your roll. Because I know who's driving that car, and I can tell you that guy makes a million dollars a year. And he gives $700,000 a year to fund our homeless ministry at this church. Here's my point. We could, if we were so inclined, we could spend the entirety of this series looking out of the corner of our eyes at the people next to us. And saying, well i'm not as bad as that guy my car is not as nice my home's not as big as my neighbors therefore i am fine but if we do that a couple of things will happen there will become a greater distance between ourselves and our neighbors and can the church say hey, amen we don't need any greater distance between ourselves and our neighbors today right and in addition to that it would simply fuel our sense of self righteousness My brothers and sisters, if we want to kick this thing called materialism that is so prevalent in our society, the only person I need to look at is me. Because the only person for whom I can ultimately say, enough, is me. And so, today we embark on this journey together to try and find freedom from this materialism. In the context of our society, one way to think about this issue of materialism is to think about the context of of the American dream. You're familiar with this idea of the American dream, and for some people, the American dream is a a political reality, and for other people, it's a social reality, but for most of us, when we really, really think about the American dream, what we think of is that we come to America, and we live in America, and, and we will make enough money to get the stuff we want. And I think it's fair to say that for a whole lot of people in our society, the American dream has turned into an American nightmare. I'm very much aware of the fact that this is Veterans Day, and my wife and I were honored to serve. In fact, we met in in the Air Force. I served four tours in the Middle East. Andy served a tour in the Middle East in support of Operations Iraqi and Enduring Freedom. I'm honored to serve, and both Andy and I share the tragic honor of serving next to people who didn't make it home. Some of you have that dubious distinction as well. I was thinking this week about the fact that this sermon is falling on Veterans Day and Veterans Day is falling on the day of the sermon and I started to think about our veterans, who many of whom, as Abraham Lincoln said, gave the last full measure of devotion. I thought about this heroic... Women and men who, who offered themselves for the idea of a greater society. And wouldn't you agree that those women and men who who were willing to pay that price and those of them who did pay that price would say to us today that they didn't pay the price so that we could all come back here and drown under the weight of our debt and greed. And so, the American dream with so much possibility has become a nightmare. And it's its not just that we want stuff. There's nothing wrong with wanting a house or a car or a cell phone. It's when I start looking around and say, eh, maybe not this house anymore. Or maybe not this car anymore. Or I really do like my iPhone 10, but did you know there's a new one coming out? I love the way Dave Ramsey summarizes the American orientation towards money. He said, We buy things we don't want with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. We buy things we don't want with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. When we can't afford to fuel our desire for more, We can't afford to fuel it anymore. We go into great debt and leverage our future. I want to talk about two great symptoms of this materialism in the United States of America today. The first we could call affluenza. Not influenza, affluenza. It's the desire to have more. I want more. I want better. I want bigger. I want nicer and newer. I want more affluenza. Advertisers on television on media across the internet they pay thousands millions of dollars sometimes To try and convince us that we need their stuff and I can tell you as a consumer. I'm susceptible to their convincing I am and then I buy more stuff and I find that even if I can afford to pay for the stuff now on the weekends when I should be spending time with my wife and kids. I'm spending a bunch of time trying to take care of my stuff can somebody say amen? I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> Affluenza. How many, do you remember the Flobee? Anybody? The Flobee? It was, it was, it was part, part hair clipper, part vacuum. <laughs> Cut your hair, didn't have any cleanup, right? Cause you had the I'm not gonna ask anybody to raise their hands if they bought the flobe. But somebody convinced us that we needed a Flobee. I'm going to tell you the story about my wife. I want you to know I have her permission. And before I start, you need to know a few things about Dr. Lau. First, she's brilliant. She's beautiful. And that woman is frugal. Frugal, church. There's another word you could use. I'm not going to. I'm just going to use frugal. Okay? See, my wife grew up in Pennsylvania and her family didn't have a lot of money and so she has appreciated the value of a dollar her whole life. So a number of years ago, Andy and Rob <laughs> went to the Georgia National Fair in Perry, Georgia, just outside of Robbins Air Force Base where we were stationed. Not the Georgia State Fair, mind you, the Georgia National Fair. And I'm telling you, this was an amazing fair. It deserved to be called the Georgia National Fair. It was huge. You know one of the things I learned there? The average dairy cow consumes a bathtub full of water every single day. Amazing! And that's not the kind of stuff you find out at the state fair. you got to go to a national fair to figure that out. (laughs) So we go to the Georgia national fair. We're walking around. It's fantastic. And this guy walks up to me. He says, hey, sir, would you like to watch my cooking demonstration? Now, I want to invite you to look at me for a minute. What's the likelihood I'm going to say no to that guy? (laughs) So we went and we watched the cooking demonstration. But the thing was, he wasn't really there to do a cooking demonstration. He was there to demonstrate the beauty and the wonder of something called waterless cookware. Waterless cookware is this cool invention where you've got kind of two chambers. You've got the the bottom steel and the top steel in the pan. And then between them, there's water actually in the pan. So you can cook stuff that normally requires you to, to cook it in water. You can cook it without water. For example, he cooked an ear of corn without boiling it. And so the, the corn had its full flavor. It hadn't gotten washed away by the water. And we tasted the corn. It was amazing. I still remember, it's 12 years later, I still remember how good that corn was. And then Rob made his fatal mistake. I went to the bathroom. Not there. I actually went to the restaurant. <laughs> And by the time I got back, my brilliant, beautiful, frugal wife had purchased a set of waterless cookware and paid, wait for it, $3,000. That was an interesting conversation afterwards. Now, I don't know who the guy was. I can't remember who he was. I can tell you this. He deserves a medal. <laughs> I convinced my brilliant frugal wife that what she really needed to make herself happy was some waterless cookware, and it only cost her $3,000 to have true joy in this life. Now, she I told you she's brilliant. The next day, she called and canceled, right? Uh, because if they actually shown up, she's so frugal we never would have actually gotten to use them because they cost so much. Uh, that's the way that would have worked out. At any rate, my point is to say all of us. It doesn't matter how smart we are or how frugal we are. All of us are susceptible to this thing called affluenza. People will tell us what we what we really really need, and before long we'll start to believe them. And because we suffer with this affluenza, and we can't afford. To pay for our habit, we then suffer from a complementary disease that we could call credititis. Credititis. It's the ability to have something now and pay for it later. I want you to test me on something. I want you to go home and test me on this. If you've got children who are still at home with you, high school and below, go home and ask them if they know what the phrase layaway means. I bet you dollars to donuts, they have no idea. Then pull out a credit card. Ask if they know what that is. My four-year-old can tell you what a credit card is. That's the thing daddy swipes and then we get stuff. It's a reversal. In my lifetime, I've seen a reversal. It used to be that we had to put stuff on layaway. I hated layaway. Go to Kmart, you know, mom said, you like that jacket? I love it. Mom said, let's go to layaway. Oh, not layaway. Be August, I'm not going to see this thing till Christmas. We don't know about that anymore. The average American today has over $16,000 in credit card debt at an average interest rate of 16.71%. The average American also has four credit cards. It used to be that by federal law, the minimum payment you could make on a credit card was 4%. That law was changed a few years ago. Now you can make a 2% payment if i have $15,000 in debt and have 15% interest on that card and pay the minimum 2% payment every single month i'll have that debt paid off in 300 years wow and i would say oh this hey this is important to know this if you take nothing else away from this sermon i hope you remember this okay the average credit card purchase is 25% higher than the average purchase made with cash. Why? I would suggest it's because something different happens in our brain when we actually have to fork over money, than we can just swipe a card. And so one way to help try and get this un- under wraps is simply to stop using our cards so much and start using cash more often. And one of the problems with this affluenza and credititis is we passed it along to our kids In 2018, the average child graduated from high school, the average young person graduated from high school, graduated with $30,100 in student loan debt. That's up $12,000 over the course of the last 10 years. At the same time, the average student graduated from college in 2018 graduated with $7,800 of credit card debt. We could talk about, we could talk about statistics like this all day. But the point is simply that we have become credit crazy and it is impacting our lives. It is impacting our lives. The number one cause for divorce for years now has not been marital infidelity. It has been irreconcilable differences due to money. Craig Gay says it this way. He says the most serious indictment we must level at the contemporary consumer the contemporary consumer behavior. The most serious indictment we must level at the contemporary consumer behavior is that it is spiritless. It betrays a decision to sacrifice all noble and truly human aspirations at the altars of comfort, convenience, and safety. The Bible has a word for materialism that manifests itself in this way. The Bible calls it idolatry. And the first of the Ten Commandments is centered on idolatry. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever asked yourself why that is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments? I think it's because it is the commandment we are most likely to break. And our idols aren't graven images made out of gold. Our idols are houses and cars and clothes and jewelries and iPhones. Believing the American dream has historically meant that I believe that I need to meet with greater and greater success every day, which means that the things I had yesterday aren't good enough today, and the things I have today won't be good enough tomorrow. There's an economic principle centered around this called the law of diminishing returns. What satisfies me now won't satisfy me later. If we were to really, really talk about what the problem is when it comes to materialism and this consumer culture, I would highlight what I think are probably the three greatest problems this facilitates in our lives. First, our inability to say enough robs us of our peace. It robs us of our peace. Because it is hard to be a person of peace when creditors are calling me on the phone. Secondly, this movement away from paying now and getting later, this movement towards credititis and movement towards affluenza, this materialism, this idolatry can compromise my sense of self-worth. If I'm defined by what I have, if I'm defined by the amount of money I make, then when that changes, my sense of self-worth will go down or possibly up. So if I make less money today than I did six months ago, I could be telling myself that I am worth less today than I was then, guys, we are especially susceptible to this reality. This is the way our society trains us. But women, you too are becoming more and more like this, where we define our identity, our self-worth, based on our material possessions and our money. Can we agree that we have no real right to do that? We who are the beautiful and beloved children of God, we who have been bought with a price, the greatest price ever paid for anything in the history of the world was paid for you. That's what defines our self-worth, church. Not how much money is our bank account or the, the logo on our car. What God says about us. But even that, even that is not what I think is the greatest tragedy of our idolatry. Before I move on to the third thing, I just want to remind you of something. A few months ago, I said to you that I'm not naturally inclined, it's just not really part of who I am to to think about being politically correct. And you may remember that after I said that, you all clapped for me. I just wanted to remind you that that happened before we move on to number three here. Okay? Because here's the truth. Not only does our idolatry in the form of materialism rob us of our peace, not only does it compromise our sense of self-worth, But a third thing it does, it causes us to steal from God. Causes us to steal from God. What do I mean? Check out Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. It says this. Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? And God says through the prophet Malachi, in your tithes and contributions. What's a tithe? A tithe is a biblical principle that says that God is the author of everything that has been given to us in our lives. And therefore, as a demonstration of our gratitude, we give the first fruits, the first tenth of what we get back to God. And I know, I've done this before, church. I know that some of you are formulating your rebuttals right now in your minds. You're saying, but pastor... Tithing's an Old Testament principle, and you're right. It is an Old Testament principle, and remained an Old Testament principle until the New Testament was written, and then it was included in the New Testament too. Let me show you. And it's not just some some. It's not, I'm not talking about Jude here, right? Jesus says this, Matthew 23:23. 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, cumin. Hang on, what does that mean? It means not only would they give a tenth of their income, but they'd go into their storehouses and they would, they, would, they would measure off a tenth of all their spices and bring that as a show of their faithfulness to the temple. You tithe on your mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. So far, we love this passage. But read that last sentence. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that works of mercy are incredibly important and that we need to be focusing on the ways that we're caring for people. But then he goes on to say, do that, but don't neglect the tithe. Jesus said this. This is Jesus talking. It is a New Testament principle. Jesus carried it forward into the New Testament. And here's what I've experienced actually does happen in people's lives in the church My my experience is that people have a tendency to choose one path or the other. They will say, well, I'm not going to tithe, but I'm happy to volunteer at the homeless shelter. Or they'll say, I'm not going to volunteer, but I'm happy to tithe. I just want to point out, and this isn't Rob talking here, this this is Jesus, and this is an appropriate interpretation of what Jesus says here. Jesus says we are called both to do acts of justice and to be financially faithful. He says do both. Do both. So this morning, as you came in, you were handed one of these estimated giving cards for 2019. I want to invite you to do something, uh, to gather your family together. If you've got little ones, I want to invite you to bring them into this conversation. And to think about, and talk about, and pray about what God is calling us to do uh, as families. To be responsive to God's gifts in our lives. Why? Uh Why do we tithe? I would say that there are three reasons we tithe. First is because God said so. Secondly, because it demonstrates an appropriate understanding of our position before God. God has given me everything, therefore I'm going to give back to God. But here's the third. This is the practical application piece of tithing. We don't talk about this very much. Here it is. You know, I do the first thing when I wake up in the morning. I check my news feeds and then I go immediately into my time of devotion. I read my Bible. I pray. Why? Because I want to center my day around God. Every week, my wife and I bring our children here to worship. We talk to them about God almost every single day. Why? Because we want to center our family around God. What does tithing do? In the midst of a society that tells us there are no boundaries to what we can buy and what we can have, tithing is the practice that enables us to center our financial lives around God. So I want to invite you to take this home as a family, to think through this, to pray through this, to talk about why we would do something like tithe. And, and I want to say this. Thank you. For those of you who are already engaged in this practice, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To the other families in the church, I, I want you to know I love you, and I'm, I'm glad that you're with us. But you kind of fall into two groups. One is the group of people who, who could tithe but don't. And maybe you've never heard Jesus say before that this is something we should do. I want to challenge you if you can tithe but you don't tithe to start tithing in 2019. There are other families in the church, however, if you started tithing today, you'd go bankrupt tomorrow. Don't do that. But I do want to challenge you to do something. Look at the percentage of income you gave the the mission here at Ebenezer last year and increase it by 1% next year. Build a habit until we get to the point that you are faithful to God's call on our lives to tithe. I want to invite you to take this home, talk it over with your family, pray about it, and bring this back on November 25th. And as an act of worship, we're going to receive these cards and we're going to pray over them and ask that God will use it as a catalyst to change this world in 2019. So where's the hope? We find ourselves in a society that tells us that we need more, we need more, and we should leverage our future to do it, and it compromises our self-identity. It it compromises our sense of peace. It causes us to rob God. Where is the hope? The hope, church, is that things can change. The hope is that we can wake up from the nightmare. Today we've outlined what this problem looks like. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to examine some ways that we can together start saying enough now, i'm not talking about strategies to make our dollars go a little bit further i'm talking about a revolution awakening us from a nightmare and helping us to have lives of joy and peace and simplicity and generosity the lives that our god has always dreamed we could have I'm talking about taking our treasures from earthly storehouses and moving them to heaven Jesus said, where your treasures are, where your treasures are, there your heart shall be also. I hope you'll join with me over the course of these next few weeks, as together we learn how to say, enough. Let us pray. Gracious God, for this day, for the many blessings we have received, we give you thanks we thank you for the women and men who have served us in the United States military. For the families that supported them as they serve. We thank you, O oh God, for the many blessings in our lives. For homes, for cars, for computers, for cell phones, for the relationships, for the money in our bank account. For all the many blessings that you have given to us. And indeed, you have given them for you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Forgive us. Forgive us, O oh God, for giving away our peace at so low a price. Forgive us for the times that we've compromised our sense of self-worth. Forgive us for the times that we have stolen from you. And help us to be better. Help us together to take steps into your faithful future so that we can be people of generosity and joy and simplicity. We pray these things with great expectation because we pray them in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.